0: Welcome to Envision from the United Way of Greater Charlottesville and News Radio 98.9 and 1070 AM W.I.N.A. Price Thomas, I'm Robbie Respeto, coming to you right here from downtown Charlottesville. I want to thank our sponsor, Ty Cooper, Lifeview Marketing and Visuals, and with that, Price.
1: So today, with us on the line, we have Charlene Green, Deputy Director of Piedmont Housing Alliance, and previously, for over a decade, if I, if I have my facts straight, the Manager of the Charlottesville <laughs> Office of Human Rights. Charlene, how are you this morning?
2: I'm doing well, and I wasn't the the, the manager for a, a decade. I started out as the uh, uh, coordinator for the Dialogue on Race.
1: Ah, well, you were with and the organization for over 10 years, correct?
2: Oh, yeah. I was with the city for over
1: 10 years, wow. yeah. that's excellent. Well, great. So let's start there. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and give us the uh, a little bit of the – I know a lot of people recognize the name or, or have worked with you in the past, but give us a little bit of the, the SparkNotes bio on how you made it to town and your work here with us.
2: Sure. So I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, born and raised there, uh, went to um, undergraduate there at the College of Mount St. Joseph uh, on the Ohio, that's the official full title, and I um, started out um, uh, in education, uh, so I was a teacher uh, in the uh, Cincinnati Public Schools. And after teaching there for about uh six years, I decided it was time to go to grad school, and that's how I made my way to Charlottesville. And that was, um, gosh, over 30 years ago. And so uh I came here uh, initially uh, in sports psychology because I was very athletic in my undergraduate years and high school years in Cincinnati and had intentions of being um, – uh, a sports psychologist or um, an Olympic coach in, in some way. Uh, I was a, a grad assistant for the UVA women's volleyball team. And, uh, and then I got pulled into multicultural work. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mentor Bob Covert in one of the classes that I took got me interested in uh, diversity and uh, it was through that work Uh, an involvement that I realized I had been doing diversity-related types of work all my life. And so that moved me out of uh, the sports psych focus into um, ed research. And so um, finished my uh, or or, uh, did my graduate work in uh, uh, social foundations and then uh, got a position at Millersville University where – I left Charlottesville and taught as an assistant professor in the uh, School of Education up there for four years. And then I got pulled back into Charlottesville because I thought I would never come back. Uh, and um, when Albemarle County Schools created a position for the um, uh, program coordinator for equity and diversity. and uh, and. I had folks calling me up saying, you gotta apply for that job. It's got your name written all over it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I applied and, and, and got the job and, and came back to Charlottesville. And I have been here ever since, uh, um, continuing the focus that I've had for a number of years now in uh, equity and diversity and, uh, and inclusive uh, work.
0: So Charlene, for those folks that don't know, will you tell us just briefly what the dialogue on race is, was, and how sure. that yeah led to your role um, as manager of the Office mm-hmm. of Human Rights?
2: Yeah, so um, Holly Edwards, for the folks who um, have some time here in Charlottesville, know that name. Uh, Holly and uh, one of our former city managers, Maurice Jones, and at the time he was an assistant city manager, uh got together and had a vision about Charlottesville needing to uh take um, the steering wheel and organize conversations around race. And so um, uh they approached city council. Uh Holly at the time was on city council and and got them to approve a small amount of money to do some initial work, uh hire a consultant and figure out you know, what was that process gonna look like and when the plan started to um, come together they decided they needed to hire somebody to uh to actually lead that process and then that's when I got hired and um and it was uh twenty oh nine, uh twenty uh, ten when the city uh created its dialogue on race initiative and uh, it was in the midst of a snowstorm that over close to 400 people showed up over at uh, the Martin Luther King Performing Arts Center to hear the um, the plan and how this dialogue was going to get played out. And it was an amazing process. There were over, uh, I think, close to 40 different um, uh, dialogue groups, study circles as they were called, uh and the participation was uh, uh, amazing uh, about 70% of the participants were white about 30% of the participants were people of color there were about 100 uh CHS high school students who also participated and um, and and then a lot a number of recommendations were made uh out of that in terms of creating some action and and some of those actionable items created uh uh, were the, uh, the start of the, um, uh, city, uh, promise, uh, the Chamber of Commerce's, um, uh, what I think now they're calling the Diversity Business, um, uh, group, uh, that came out of the Dialogue on Race. The Office of Human Rights and the Human Rights Commission came out of the Dialogue on Race. So, uh, some uh, amazing work uh, started because of that process and um, and so it was through the creation of the Office of Human Rights that some of that work uh, was allowed to continue. Uh, it was expanded to include the um, uh, to include the focus on um, uh, the different areas uh, uh, of activities, the protected activities and protected classes uh, of folks. So it wasn't just about race and ethnicity, but uh, the dialogue on race still continued.
0: So this is sort of an aside to that, but <clears throat> wasn't the City of Promise modeled
2: off, the, off of the Harlem Children's Zone? It was. Yeah. It was. There was. Yeah, there was some pretty intensive conversation when one of the, the Study circles uh, in education focused on the trying to figure out how to create the Harlem uh, Children's Zone, uh, mm-hmm. and so there was um, a lot of research done. Uh, I know um, Kristen Seikos was a, a part of, re, of writing the grant that got some money to start the City of Promise, and um, and. You know, and we have what we have today because of the work of of all the folks involved back then.
0: And for folks that don't know, City of Promise today is a thriving organization that works with families in the West Haven uh, public housing uh, community,
2: and, and not just the West Haven community. It's uh, the you know it involves the Tenth and Page absolutely, uh, and in some of the surrounding area. They're trying to expand, uh, as I understand it, but. Um, but they definitely are concentrated over in that area.
0: Wow, that's some great history that I wasn't aware of. So I'm going to toss it to you, Price, if you want to ask the next question. Yeah,
1: yeah, we'll give our little plug here just to make sure people who join late know that they're listening to Envision from the United Way of Greater Charlottesville and News Radio 98.9 and 1070 AMWINA. Another shout out to a friend of the program and sponsor, Ty Cooper with Lifeview Marketing and Visuals, and the one and only Charlene Green with us this morning. So I, I know you best and. I think a lot of people might from your racial tours of Charlottesville and talking about obviously the racial history of Charlottesville and a lot of things that either aren't aren't known or mm-hmm. or, or aren't taught in schools and even for someone who was raised here, a lot of it was illuminating to me. So my question is is it's sort of a two part question. One is how does that project come to be, but I'd love to hear some of your favorite stories, responses, aha moments, um, you know, moments of of mm-hmm. visible incredulity from townies. Um, are there <laughs> any things that that stick out to you from from your years of those experiences?
2: Sure. So it started actually through my work with the Dialogue on Race because I was, um, uh, at the time, the lone employee, the staff person for the Dialogue, and so um, uh, I did what I could in terms of helping either do research or or gather information or whatever it was all of our uh, action groups needed uh, to, to work on the priorities that came out of the Dialogue on Race. And so I was collecting all this information, uh, you know, fascinating stories about uh, the people who were still alive who had been involved with some of the civil rights work in Charlottesville, and and um, you know, the constant question in my mind was like, who else knows this stuff? Mm-hmm. And so in 2014, I put together um, the first racial an ethnic history of Charlottesville um uh presented it in the City Hall Council Chambers. Uh we had a, a full house and and um and I believe it was even recorded and every once in a while I think it gets played as some of the just some of the the, the um programs that our uh cable access channel has uh recorded over the years. And so Uh, You know, I had probably about half an hour of information that I had put together, just points in time, because I don't consider myself a historian. Uh, I don't come with that um, uh, educational background in in doing that kind of research. And so I've just put together points in time of things that I collected and and shared that information to give people uh, a perspective that I um, hope expanded and, and gave people an opportunity to ask more questions about what Charlottesville was all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and I would say between 2014 and uh, 2016, I probably did that presentation maybe twice a year, right? Then the summer of 2017 happened. Sure. Um, and uh, I think uh, with everything that happened around the... Um, uh, talk around removing statues and, uh, and of course the work of the, uh, Blue Ribbon Commission on Race Memorials and Public Spaces. Um, the, there was this, uh, wellspring of, of, of folks asking more about the the racial and ethnic history of Charlottesville. And so I, I got requests, just crazy requests, uh, number of requests to, to share that information. And then, uh, of course, as I did that more and more, um, uh, some of the interesting things that came out for me was people just coming up to me and saying, well, you should know about boom, boom, boom. And I would write that down. And some of it would be about the first you know, firefighter uh, of color or the first police officer of color or the f- first police woman of color in Charlottesville kind of background stories and, you know, uh, uh, some of the smaller stories of people who have done things or what this uh, incident at, at a certain time um, did for racial uh, relations in Charlottesville. Those kinds of stories, everybody was coming up and sharing those kinds of things. And, and so um, getting more information about that and figuring out how to include it in the presentation became uh, part of my focus because then I was doing that presentation about seven times a month, oh my six to seven times a month. Easy. So you went from uh, twice
1: a year to seven a month.
2: Yeah. Wow. Uh, then some of it was, uh, reaching out to uh, doing it on a regular basis for, uh, the nursing school, uh, folks, the, uh, first year med students, uh, uh, a couple of, uh, education, Education classes over at the Curry School, uh, in addition to doing it for uh, the teachers of the city schools and the Albemarle County schools, uh, and then uh, all kinds of other private groups, whether it was faith-based or nonprofits. Everybody was trying to figure out and and wanted to know more about the racial and ethnic history of Charlottesville, um, and and and. Initially, it was just doing a PowerPoint presentation, but because of the um, Blue Ribbon Commission on Race Memorials and Public Spaces, um, I was part of the staff support for that um, uh, city council-appointed group uh, wh- while they were trying to figure out, because part of their charge was, you know, how do we, what do we know about Charlottesville's racial and ethnic history, and how are those stories being shared? with um, the community uh, and where are those spaces where you can see Charlottesville's history uh, and not just the Confederate history with the monuments or anything connected to the Civil War, but, you know, other aspects of that. And so uh one of the asks of the Blue Ribbon Commission was, you know, so they had made a point of saying they wanted to see this particular site or go to these statues or... And so they put together a list of about nine different sites, um, including the Jefferson School, and uh, and they, uh, they said, well, you do these racial and ethnic history um, presentations. Uh, why don't we just do a tour and go to these sites? And that was the first bus tour that I did. And then because that was so popular, um, Uh, I got asked to do a bus tour for, it was a summer school class over at UVA for a group of students. Um, And then it just expanded from there. Um, And, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, that wasn't in my job description to give bus tours for the city of Charlottesville. But um, it was an amazing opportunity to hear from folks their comments about, and, and I would say the most popular one was, I did not know mm-hmm. that was a Charlottesville history. Mm-hmm. It was an aha moment for white folks, black folks who were born and raised here, who didn't know certain things. And part of it was just about connecting the dots um, uh, and, and, you know, with some of the things, whether it was Vinegar Hill, and then realizing that, wow, Vinegar Hill wasn't the only neighborhood that was taken from people of color in the city of Charlottesville. You also had Gospel Hill over by the UVA hospital. You also had the Pearl Street area, which uh, was over by um, uh, Preston and McIntyre, where they, had the, they took that land from the predominantly black folks who lived over there in order to build a new white high school mm. because the high school, the old high school, Midway, was too small. And so that's when they built Lane High School. In nineteen and opened in nineteen forty-one. So you know, being able to connect the dots with the other neighborhoods and those stories, and being able to hear from people like Mrs. Teresa Price, who uh, grew up in that Pearl Street neighborhood, and for her to be able to take folks around uh, and and point out uh, the different historical markers or or, or stories behind uh, some of that. Uh, you know, those are priceless, priceless opportunities that you, you don't want to miss because, you know, some of those folks won't be with us much longer. And, and, and those are stories that would, would be lost if someone
1: else hadn't heard it. This is Envision from the United Way of Greater Charlottesville and News Radio 98.9, 1070 AMWINA. Thanks again to Ty Cooper and thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back to Envision from the United Way of Greater Charlottesville and News Radio 98.9 and 1070 AMWINA. We are talking in the studio this morning with Charlene Green, Deputy Director at Piedmont Housing Alliance. Uh, Charlene, can you tell me a little bit about your work with the Piedmont Housing Alliance and their landmark project, the redevelopment of Friendship Corps and how your anti-racist work has come into play uh, with your role there?
2: Sure, sure. So I've been working uh, at Piedmont Housing Alliance now for just a little over a year. And uh, and my primary responsibilities are to manage the staff and operationalize our our strategic plan and a big part of our strategic plan. And this is something, this is work that started actually before I I came because I remember doing, uh, uh, participating in some of the uh, opportunities that PHA provided to its partners regarding equity um, is, is the creation of of uh, an anti-racist organizational plan. Um, uh, I, I think there are a lot of folks who talk a lot about equity and and, and being focused on that work, and uh, uh, but I don't hear a lot of folks define what they mean by equity. Um, and then I don't um, too often enough see the, the actual plans that people have to operationalize the equity focus that they say they want to, um, uh, to provide for their organization. And that's where we are with PHA. We are in the process of defining what it means to be an anti-racist organization. And that's not just about um, uh, internally what we do with our staff and our training. Uh, and those kinds of things, but also, you know, uh, what do we do for our residents in in an anti-racist way? What are our policies and procedures? What does that look like? Uh, how does that impact our board work? Um, uh, and then uh, externally, what does that mean for the partners that the community partners that we have, and and how are they uh, demonstrating their equity-focused work? And and, and so. It's really an intensive conversation amongst our staff first to figure out what that looks like for us and then um, um, putting that in operational terms so that we're walking the talk. So it's not just about patting ourselves on the back and saying, oh, yeah, we focus on equity. No, we we got to show people what does that look like and here's how we're doing it. Um, and, and hopefully... Um, we're doing it in a way that truly makes a difference so that um, we're transforming our work and we're transforming the work of the people of that um, who are our partners. And so some of that is focused in uh, how we're um, working on the redevelopment of Friendship Court, for instance. We've, there has been in place since the beginning a... Um, advisory committee of residents, and they have had uh, uh, major input in what the redevelopment process looks like, whether or not there's going to be, you know, how many townhomes versus how many apartment buildings, uh, what's the density going to look like, what is the layout, uh, even down to the coloring and, and where everything, what the apartments actually look like. Um uh, so, um, so there's that piece. But then also we're trying to figure out down the road how are we going to make sure that if we have folks being allowed to buy their homes over in the new development, uh, how do we help folks build wealth? Because that was part of what happened with Vinegar Hill and the loss of other neighborhoods where uh, uh, primarily African-American families who owned their homes at the time they lost their wealth when that was taken away from them. They lost the ability to pass down the equity in their property to their family members so that they could either use that equity to um, better their lives uh, for their families down the road. So we're trying to figure out how do we ensure that we can help the families that are on that um, property who are buying their homes. Not everybody will buy their homes. There will be some rentals and there will be an opportunity to purchase. How do we help them build their wealth? And so that's part of being uh, um, an anti-racist organization, making sure that you are um, uh, creating, acknowledging the history of what happened in that space Uh, and definitely how Friendship Court may have, uh, or PHA may have been uh, complicit in that. And then how do we rectify and, uh, and, and, and mitigate some of the, the things that came out of that historically moving forward?
1: Before we let you go, I'd, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't ask. And, and I'm certain you haven't had a lot of time to process this. No one has. But what, what is your initial reaction to the, the Derek uh, Chauvin verdict?
2: My initial re- reaction was uh, surprise that, um, that it was guilty, a guilty verdict, especially on all three counts. Uh, because I've lived long enough to know that that doesn't always happen. Uh, uh, and so, uh, and then the, 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 I think the pessimist in me is like, okay, this, so this happened one time, mm-hmm. given everything historically that we know and what is happening still in the present day, even while his verdict was going down. Mm-hmm that you know, we, we still continue to have concerns about how um, the police treat people of color, especially
1: black people. Big thank you to our guest, Charlene Green, for taking time to be with us this morning. To learn more about her work and the work of her organization, Piedmont Housing Alliance, take the time to visit www.piedmonthousingalliance.org. If you have any ideas for us, ideas for the show, people we should talk to, stories we should tell, make sure you get in touch with us on social media at United Way Seaville or drop us a line at envision at org. One more big thanks to Ty Cooper, friend of the program, for sponsoring the show and his organization, LifeView Marketing and Visuals. For the one and only Robbie Respeto, this is Price Thomas, and we'll see you next week.